1: Live from the 6th and Peabody Studio and across the Outkick Network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski.
2: The Titans are keeping Ben Jones. They have re-signed him to a two-year contract, $7 million per season. Which is about right, based on um, his last pay increase in contract and where he is right now in terms of his career. He's back, and that's a big piece for their offensive line. Uh, they have also released Janoris Jenkins. Jack Rabbit is gone from the Titans' defense. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Final hours here, coming up in 20 minutes. Trey Wallace of Outkick.com. He is in Indianapolis with uh, NCAA tournament coverage for Outkick, where in Indy, you have Michigan, Colorado State, followed by Tennessee and Longwood. That's the first session. Second session, later in the evening in Indy, Trey will be covering Kentucky and St. Peter's and Murray State, San Francisco. He's got a nice four-pack there.
0: I usually uh, have some sort of nugget or anecdote about every team or school in the NCAA tournament bracket. Uh, To be completely honest, I don't know a single thing about St. Peter's. That's one when they popped up. I, I, is this school in America? Is it a Canadian <laughs> They're school? They're 19 and 11. I, I know nothing about St. Peter's. Uh, uh, CBS Sports has a great 1 through 68 ranking, just their own ranking of the teams in the tournament. The Peacocks. I, I'm scrolling down here, Hutton, to find the Peacocks. <laughs> I'm in the 50s right now. Uh, Richmond's kay. 53, Yale 54, Colgate 55, St. Peter's 57. Would you like to hear their description of St. Peter's? Yes, one of the toughest jobs in the country due to a minimal budget for men's basketball. What a, what a start for that one. Due to men's basketball, the Peacocks rose out of the MAAC, uh, which is the Metro Atlantic yep. Athletic Conference, to make it back to the NCAAs for the first time since 2011. Shaheen Holloway is a rising star in the coaching industry. The Peacocks rely significantly on their defense while having a bona fide low major star in Casey, Casey Nedefo. Uh, that's the first. You just, I think, for most of our listeners or viewers, also, you just got your first St. Peter's nugget right there.
2: You're welcome. The peacocks, the peacocks of St. Peter's. Do you, do you have them springing the upset? No, oh, I do not. I, I have them getting <laughs> just thrashed. Can you imagine a St. Peter's Murray or St. Peter's San Francisco? Well, second round. If St.
0: Peter's upsets Kentucky, oh. Indianapolis will burn. <laughs> <laughs> there, there will not be a city left standing uh, if that happens.
2: Uh, Kentucky, uh, they, they play uh, Thursday evening. It's, it's Tennessee and Longwood, Michigan, Colorado State for the morning session there. Uh, and Trey will be covering all four games. He'll be joining us in 20 minutes. We'll go more in detail there. Did you uh, know
0: also that St. Peter's is in Jersey City? Jersey? Did not know that. How about that? I'm learning a lot about St. Peter's.
2: The Je- Jesuit Catholic University. What seed were they in their conference tournament? I, I get the feeling they were not favored to win.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't follow the Metro uh, Atlantic. They the went fourteen do. and
2: six in conference, <laughs> nineteen and eleven overall.
0: I'm guessing they are probably like a three seed at fourteen they, and six so in conference.
2: I, Iona was upset. There you go. They were. They were upset in the. I was thinking, conference who's bracket. the team that
0: normally comes out of that conference, and it would be Iona. And they beat Rick Monmouth. Pitino's Iona.
2: They had to go through Monmouth. So Iona and Monmouth well. are the two NCAA veterans that we, we always recognize, right? On well, you the, know what I always map. say,
0: the Metro Athletic, you always go through Monmouth. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you're not winning that bad boy without going through Monmouth. They're They're top, they have a the top way.
2: 40 defense, Chad. How about that? In the country.
0: Could be a slugfest against the Wildcats.
2: <laughs> I have a feeling it won't be. How many NBA players on that St. Peter's roster you know, compared to Kentucky? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, 15 of their opponents have been held under 60 points, let's including VCU.
0: Let's say this about Kentucky, too. And I've heard John Calipari, whoever his agent is that gets him on every bracketology, yeah. bracket show imaginable when they go in, it, great job by them. And I'll say this. I've softened a little bit on John Calipari over the years. He's actually very funny at times. In fact, he had a line uh, to, I think it was ESPN he was on, and he talked about their loss to Tennessee, and he said, I don't want to take anything away from Tennessee. They played great. They were playing better than anyone, including us, by the end of the year. And they killed, you know, killed us in Knoxville before that. Yeah. But he said, you know, we, didn't, we didn't make a three. <laughs> he said, not only, he said, I don't mind if you miss. He's like, my line to my players is, if you shoot and miss, it's not a problem. But you can't miss all of them. <laughs> and he said, if you miss all of them, it's my job to take you out of the game at some point. But then everyone was missing all of them, so we couldn't take everyone out of the game. Uh, which could sound like whining, but uh, from Calipari is pretty funny. This is a very different Kentucky team in this tournament because of the transfer portal, because of what they were able to do with Toppin, with Shebway, with Wheeler, with the guys they brought in, Kellen Grady from Davidson. They got old overnight. So you mix that with a one and done in Ty Ty Washington, who's the most talented player on the roster. That's why I have Kentucky going to the final four. This is a roster made for a tourney run because they finally have the experience because they added that experience via the transfer portal. They got guys who have been there and done that and played college basketball for a while. Uh, I like Kentucky's draw, and uh, the only thing that's that's weird about the draw for Kentucky fans is they're going to have to see Murray State possibly in the second round, and that's going to make them very nervous in that game. But for a 7-10 matchup, I think it's a good game. I think it's the easiest 7-10 draw. Murray State or San Francisco? Yeah,
2: I think it sucks that you have the in-state matchups, period, early in the tournament. Like, especially – It doesn't suck in this circumstance because
0: Kentucky won't play Murray. Murray wants to play Kentucky, and Kentucky yeah. doesn't want to play them. So but they're like, forcing the
2: issue. Is it Bama? Who who, who has Jacksonville State? Is it Auburn? Auburn? Auburn plays
0: Jacksonville State.
2: So, like, the in-state matchup there, I just – I mean, I don't get that. Yeah, uh, in the first a, round. yeah. Like, right out of the gate, it would be like Chattanooga taking on Tennessee. I wouldn't like that um, for either school. Like, I, I would want something fresh, right? Yeah. Like, some type of reward of going to the tournament and not facing the in-state rival, or in some cases, just the in-state opponent that is dominating. Look, Murray, like State,
0: Murray State is 30-2, and two, okay? So, they're a very good team. Mm-hmm. But if I gave you the choice of these 7-10 games, if you're the two seed, you're going to get the winner of it. Murray State, San Francisco, that's Kentucky's draw. Or Michigan State and Davidson, USC and Miami, Miami, by the way, who won at Cameron Indoor this year also, or Ohio State and Loyola, Chicago. Yeah, you're right. I am taking Murray State, you're San right. Francisco winner. So that is the easiest of the seven tens uh, for Kentucky.
2: And San is Francisco's no slouch either. Here. No. The, they're, the Dons. The Dons, yeah. Uh, again, that game is 940 Eastern on thursday night
0: do you think their coach ever says you know bill russell ain't walking through that door anytime <laughs> soon you guys get your heads up it's been a while since we went on a, nat- a natty here in hey, san, francisco, san francisco but bill russell did
2: it san francisco beat uab and davidson this year they're gonna give murray a run
0: the the one that i am most reluctant
2: i, I believe they're the betting favorite
0: well the one the 12 five, my 12 five pick was uab over houston And it's also the one that's torturing me right now because I've got UAB Chattanooga in round two. And the more I look at it, Hutton, the more it just doesn't feel right.
2: (laughs) You want to go back on it? just doesn't
0: feel right. I'm I'm sticking with it. I'm going to ride it out, but it just doesn't feel right.
2: So the MLB lockout, it kept teams from communicating with players. You were prohibited either way from having any communication. So as soon as the lockout was over – the 99-day lockout, which for nearly 50 days, they didn't do anything uh, in terms of communication, um, even negotiating, I'm saying. Fernando Tatis Jr., after the lockout ends, Chad, calls up the Padres and says, oh, by the way, um, I had a, I believe it was a motorcycle accident or something, and he's out for three months with a wrist, a broken wrist, and he's going to have surgery. But the, the Padres had no clue about it because they couldn't communicate with players.
0: Well, it, it's it's a bummer for the Padres. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, because when you he, think about, like... He is a generational talent. Yeah. And uh, th- that's one that you break your wrist, whatever happened with this accident, that's not anything that's easy to come back from, especially when it's a non-baseball-related injury like that, it's it's a bummer.
2: Well, and did, he just signed like a 14-year, $350 million contract. No, it, was,
0: it was one of those. Was, last year or the year before. It was like before. a lifetime contract. Yeah. You're going to be a Padre for as long as we, we want you to be a Padre, and here are the numbers. And it was astronomical.
2: They did not, uh, in Atlanta, give that contract to Freddie Freeman. Instead, they trade for Matt Olson uh, and give him a lengthy contract, and we're going to see Freddie Freeman playing elsewhere. Chad mentioned it earlier with John he's from LA um, the Yankees are also squarely in the mix based on tweets and, and those following the the league but uh, Chad you mentioned last week you felt like it was going to be the Dodgers
0: yeah so I mean look it, it's anybody's guess at this point it's uh, obviously it's not going to be the Braves and that's the headline here Matt Olson traded uh, they, they get the eight-year contract done he's 27 so the Braves have him until he's 35. 39 home runs, uh, two-time Gold Glove winner. One of my first questions was, I know the guy can mash. How good is he in the field? Oh, he's a two-time Gold Glove winner. That was one of Freddie Freeman's biggest strengths. He's probably the best defensive first baseman in all of baseball, and they're going to a guy who's one of the best defensive first basemen in all of baseball. Um, Alex Anthopoulos, all reports, David O'Brien, who I read from The Athletic, who covers the Braves, Essentially, he got frustrated that it was just a complete stalemate with Freddie Freeman on the year, mm-hmm. on the length of the contract. Braves didn't want to budge. Freeman's camp didn't want to budge. So instead of sitting back and hoping Freeman's camp came around and decided, okay, I'll stay with the hometown team, he got active, and he traded with the A's for, for Matt Olson. I respect it. If you have the alternative of Freddie Freeman or Matt Olsen, I would want Freddie Freeman especially – if I'm the Atlanta Braves, with what he's meant to that organization. But also, this is absolutely the best thing that could happen if you weren't going to re-sign Freddie Freeman. There's not a close second of possibilities. So the Braves made out well here. I still would prefer Freddie Freeman. And I really don't want to see Freddie Freeman go to a, a National League team yeah, like the Dodgers. You'd rather see him
2: in the A. I'd rather see him with PKs. By, by doing this... By overplay, it's clear he overplayed his hand with Atlanta. By doing this, he he loses some leverage, right? Because you can't you can't say, well, I'm I'll just stay in Atlanta and Atlanta's gonna drive up the price and always be in the mix to to resign the guy. Um he's gonna have a, a huge bank account whenever this is all said and done. I'm not saying he he loses a ton here. But the leverage of playing two sides where the, the greatest possibility is Atlanta. Desperately wants him back, and they want to keep the you know their their talented player on their roster as they defend their crown. Instead, they've moved on, and now it's you know one less team you have to bid against if you're LA, if you're New York, or anyone else.
0: Well, what do the Yankees feel about Rizzo at first? I mean, they could easily say you know we want to work out a deal, but we're okay with that as a fallback plan. Um, the Dodgers seem to be more. Uh, not desperate, but more in need of Freddie Freeman. But then if the Dodgers are just negotiating against themselves at this point, yeah, Braves taking their name publicly out of the bidding hurts his leverage. But I also don't know the bidding factor between Dodgers and Yankees to know what Freddie Freeman's going to get from that. They could still be actively bidding hard against each other right now. Either way, it's a bummer for Braves fans because Freddie Freeman's such a huge part of that organization. He's one of those Chipper Mm. Jones-type guys that has been there for a long time. And Chipper Jones, obviously, a lifelong brave. And will be remembered that way. But Freddie Freeman, in the same spirit of Chipper Jones, and now you might watch him go play for the Yankees, the Dodgers. Which hurts?
2: Deshaun Watson uh, dominating the NFL headlines today with all of the potential trade partners for Houston. Of course, Watson has to approve all these meetings, and approve ultimately where he's going to end up. And so those involved Cleveland. We know that Indianapolis called Houston and and the Texans said, no, we're not trading him within the division. Uh, Cleveland's the one AFC team that we have seen mentioned and that Mary Kay Cabot mentioned uh, on a report today. John McClain earlier in the show uh, also said that the Texans would not be trading for Baker Mayfield if Watson is traded to Cleveland. They're one. But the others are from the NFC South, where you the Panthers and the Saints, we know that those meetings have, have taken place. And now we're starting to hear about the Atlanta Falcons and what could that potentially mean for Matt Ryan. McLean also said that the Texans wouldn't want Matt Ryan. They want players as well as picks, but not veteran players as they continue their rebuild what's interesting be on the lookout for pass rush uh, be on the lookout for tight end and I would also throw in their safety because while I think all of those positions are where Houston will target in the draft Justin Reed just signed in Kansas City so if if you have a young safety or you're willing to trade as a part of this deal, this package deal for Deshaun Watson. That would be enticing to them. Same would go for tight end. Noah Fant was being mentioned in Seattle before Watson said he's not going to be a part of the Seahawks. Um, Noah Fant, who was just traded to Seattle, was being mentioned as a potential candidate to be lumped into the trade. Seattle would be willing to make in an offer to Houston. So I think tight end's one to watch, a position, and then pass rush because they need help opposite – Jonathan Grenard uh, from Florida, and if you have a young pass rusher or if you're willing to make a deal because you're desperate for Deshaun Watson, I think Houston opens up to those ideas too. Keep in mind, though, Watson's the one who has to approve the trade. It's not Houston.
0: John McClane knows far better than I about all of this, and I asked him the question, and he said, they absolutely believe in Davis Mills as the franchise quarterback and absolutely believe in him moving forward. I have a hard time buying that. Me too. Maybe it's the bias of him being a third round pick. Um I thought he was pretty good. Better than I expected it's okay. for a third round yeah. pick by the end of the year, but it's just it, I understand not wanting an aging Matt Ryan for a roster that's not very good. You you add a Matt Ryan if it's a slight upgrade and you're a playoff team to help your chances. You don't do it in rebuild mode. I get that. But I'm also hard-pressed to believe that the Texans would not be in an upgraded quarterback market for whatever they trade for with Deshaun Watson, whether that be draft picks or a current quarterback. I just – I don't see the Houston Texans as a team saying, guys, we've got quarterback figured out. Let's get everything else around the quarterback in this trade. We want draft picks. We want starters on defense, and we got the quarterback figured out. They're a team that's got to figure that out too. Yes, But – Matt Ryan John talks to the
2: team, so I, he, I, they, he would know. They restructured his contract where the cap hit this year is only like 36 or 37 million. It was like 11 or 12 million more than that over the weekend, and they've restructured it. He, the, the, he was the highest uh, salary cap hit of any quarterback in the NFL up until last weekend when they restructured that cap hit. Um, that makes the trade more likely. I just I I assume they're sticking with him for one more year and and they very well might do that and then address something in the draft as well. But Atlanta's clearly not sitting still at that position and can they find a trade partner if Houston doesn't want? I would be curious if if Indy is uh one of those potential landing spots for Matt Ryan. He's 36, he'll be 37 whenever the season kicks off. But in terms of age at quarterback, um you, you can look at that and say you're acquiring a, a guy that's going to give you at least two or three years um, playing at, a, a, at still a high level. He was coming along well in the, the Arthur Smith offense towards the back half of the season, and he was doing it without much talent around him because of injury, because of youth. And when I say talent, they had no one running the football. They had zero run game, and all their wide receivers were either sitting out or injured.
0: Yeah, I like the idea of Arthur Smith coaching Deshaun Watson. Yeah, From a coach-quarterback relationship standpoint, I'd like to see what Arthur Smith could do with Deshaun Watson. That could be a fun one.
2: Hit us up on Twitter. You can react and join the conversation at OutKick360. Trey Wallace about to join the show when we return. He's in Indianapolis, uh, set for tip-off on Thursday for the NCAA tournament. He's covering Tennessee and Kentucky for OutKick. We'll preview those matchups, preview what's to come in the NCAA tournament from Indy with Trey Wallace next on OutKick
1: 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes!
2: had to say uh, about the tournament seating transparency needed in that regard and more. Plus he had to sit down with UT chancellor, Donnie Plowman that's available for you at outkick.com. Trey is on his way to Indianapolis where Tennessee will take on Longwood and Kentucky gets uh, a first round matchup prior to meeting potential in-state foe Murray state. uh, If that can happen, they've got to get past San Francisco uh, but he's on his way to Indy where he, he'll be covering four games, including Michigan and Colorado State among those. Trey, hope you're doing well.
1: I'm good. You guys caught me like, uh, like I almost made it. I was 20 oh. miles away from Indy. And I was like, ah, okay. All right. But um, hope you guys are doing good and excited to, to bring some coverage to the, uh, the outgate crew this week.
2: And this, is, uh, this is a great draw. for for Indianapolis and and for the site? Because I know you were debating last week, do I go cover Tennessee or Kentucky based on the draw? You get both of them now.
1: Yeah, I think that really worked out. You look at the Greenville region um, that that only got Auburn. You know, they did get Duke uh, in there as well, but SEC-wise, only getting Auburn. So, you know, Indianapolis lucked out in a way too. It's going to be very awkward when Tennessee fans and Kentucky fans run into each other in (laughs) Indianapolis, but also know that they're not playing each other uh, after what happened last, I don't even know, three days ago, four days ago in Tampa. So um, it it is a good draw for Indianapolis. Should be a good crowd on Thursday. And then Saturday, you know, Tennessee and Kentucky advance. I'm sure that place will be near sold out. So, yeah, they, they did. They lucked out in the draw.
0: Trey, how much research have you done on Longwood? Uh, already, are you all ready to go with the Longwood scouting report, or or where, where are I, we in that process?
1: I'm getting close. I watched a little bit of footage uh, last night. Uh, once I got back from Tampa, um, and look, they're they're very guard oriented. Not a very tall team. Uh, they're going to push. It kind of reminds me a little bit like what Arkansas does, and pushing you up and down the court with their speed. They, you know, look, they don't have a a six foot eight or whatever Jalen Williams out there. Uh, they don't have a, a sharpshooter like J.D. Note, but they do have enough guys that can score some points. I just think that's going to be hard to do Chad when it comes to Tennessee's defense. So we'll get a little bit more footage in tonight looking at them and then um, but other than that really guard oriented. So Interested to see how Rick Barnes plays it on defense.
0: Well, and you know, once the dust settles from Tennessee not being a two-seed, being a three-seed, all the frustration around that, you look up and it's not a bad draw for the Vols. They get Longwood, they're a 17.5 point favorite in that game, then they get Colorado State or Michigan. Let's just talk about this first weekend. If Tennessee's to get through this first weekend, overall, what do you think about their draw and their path to get to the Sweet 16?
1: I mean, I don't, I don't particularly dislike it. I think it's a, Chad, I think it's a bit easier than what they would have had with a two. Um, you're potentially going to play Villanova, um, and and I and I get the Arizona part of it, but this is a Tennessee team that, that's already kind of been down that road in a sense with Nova. Um, you look at like like getting out of this weekend seems pretty easy for me for Tennessee. In my opinion, they should beat either Michigan or Colorado State on Saturday if they they win on Thursday. And then it gets interesting when you get to San Antonio of of how it would play out in that matchup. I think Tennessee works out really well for them right now with this draw that could potentially put them in the Elite Eight. And Chad, from there, anything can happen. It, it, It doesn't matter. As long as you get to that spot, that's where things can get a little bit crazy. So I like the draw but I still think they got shafted when it comes to the two seed. So it's kind of both ends of the spectrum of that answer.
2: Trey Wallace with us from OutKick. Staying on Tennessee before we we preview the, the path for Kentucky as well with in their region, um, the Vols could not have played much better in Tampa. I mean, it was dominant. Where they held a lead for practically all of those matchups for the entire games. Um, how do they keep that hot hand going, Trey? Uh from from top to bottom, Rick Barnes got the most out of that group.
1: It's it's Josiah Jordan James, it's him coming out, and it's him, you know, knocking down three consecutive baskets to start games. I mean, you way that he looked at he's that he's played. Um, but it's also the guard play, you know, get, get getting the same out of Santiago Bascobi and Kennedy Chandler, having them be a presence. And then also I'll say this Euros Plots. Have him be aggressive in the paint. I think that's the biggest thing. You're not going to have to worry about this team maybe not looking ahead, but in a sense of I think they've been disrespected in a sense. I think that Rick Barnes has kind of made that known in his comments in the media this week. So I would expect the Tennessee team to come out hot on Thursday and, and try to take care of Longwood quick, get what they have to off the bench, and then be ready to go for Saturday. I, I I think this basketball team is rolling right now, Jonathan. Um, coming off a weekend in Tampa where I think they led, I mean, I'm sorry, I think they were trailing only two minutes over three games. That's hard to do. I don't, I don't care yeah. who you are. So, you, you look at what they're doing right now, Tennessee will be ready to go, and I think that they've got a, a darn good shot of making it to, to the Elite Eight in San Antonio.
0: Well, and, and with Tennessee, you can only stop so many threats offensively, right? Or really focus on them. That's why Josiah Jordan James is so key because when he can get set and hit a three and he's usually not the focus of a defense. The other one is Akai Ziegler. When he checks in, is a a big X factor for Tennessee. He was not very good uh, in Tampa. Had a bunch of turnovers in the championship game. Still had some big moments in those games. But what do you think about Ziegler being an X factor for Tennessee heading into this tournament?
1: I mean, Chad, he's got to be, man. I think I counted five turnovers in the second half of that game, uh, that championship game against AM uh for Ziegler. He just got to be better with the ball. Um, and, and look, he's going to be an X factor coming off that bench for Tennessee. They need him. They need him to be hitting long shots, uh, driving the basket. You're going to have to give Kennedy and Chandler a break sometime in between there. Um, so when you get them all on the court together, it's all about their ball movement. So – I think Zakai will be fine. I, I, I'm not going to say the moment was too big or anything like that for him. The kids played some big time games this season, but that 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 start of that second half, it got a little sloppy, uh, and Rick Barnes had to clean that up a little bit. He he sat him on the bench for a minute and then got him reset, and got back in the game. So he's going to be big for what Tennessee does this week and going forward in the tournament, and especially if he can force the fouls, you know, draw those fouls inside the paint get to the basket, get other teams in trouble, I think that's what you can look for out of Zakai Ziegler.
2: Trey, I have in the the Outkick Bracket Challenge, and by the way, we'll send you the link so you can can join us in this, I have Kentucky winning the national title. I look at their path uh, from their region in the east, and I think they by far have the easiest path among teams that are title contenders going into the tournament. Not just on the bottom half of their bracket, but they have Baylor as the one seed that I think is very beatable.
1: I don't disagree with you. I think Kentucky has a pretty nice path to get to the Final Four. Um, I, I think that here, here's the thing with them: the way that they're playing right now, like they're not going to shoot as bad as they shot against Tennessee in the tournament. I don't, I don't think. Oscar is going to be more of a factor. Factor. Um, I think Ty Ty Washington. Started starting to step up his game again after coming off an ankle injury. You've got Wheeler in there who can get to the basket but also can shoot from behind the perimeter. I look at their matchups and how this thing will play out. I'm very interested in the Murray State matchup because Murray, I've watched Murray State play a couple times this year, and that's a team that can come out and shoot, and they can get hot from behind the arc. Um, that's where things can get a little dicey if you're a Kentucky fan is if a team comes out and just starts nailing down threes. Um, and you've got to rely on Oscar or, you know, or Toppin or whatnot to be able to get you around the basket. So, no, I, I think Kentucky is is going to be set up just fine, uh, in my opinion, to make an Elite Eight. We'll see how far they get with the final four in the National Championship. Anything can happen. But I think the draw that they got that will start this week, I, I think it suits them really well uh, to make it that far. It, it'll be interesting. The National Championship thing, Jonathan, Okay, I feel I you on it. I, they have the talent to do it. I just want to see them put together a complete game yeah. over maybe the next two weekends to get to that point.
0: Murray State is thirty and two on the season. Uh, um, yeah, I, I yeah. just I like to go through the bracket and just look at records. I don't care what league you're in. Thirty and two uh, for Murray State. Colorado State's twenty five and five in a good league. Uh, these are really good basketball teams that know how to win and have done a lot of it. Uh, That's why these things get interesting when you get up against veteran teams like this that win all the time. And that's what Murray State is. That's what Colorado State is. And that's what Michigan is going to see in a game you're going to watch.
1: Well, that's what, that's what stands out to me too is how does Colorado State play up against Michigan? We know what Michigan is. I think we've all watched four or five Michigan games this year at times, you know, not the whole games, but we kind of know what they are. They're a physical presence, one or two outside shooters. Uh, Juwan Howard's going to pound the paint um, and get to the basket. Colorado State's an interesting they throw in there. I go back and look at their stats and, and, and how they've played this season percentage-wise, the field goal percentage-wise. That's a team that, that, to me, is interesting because, again, they're seniors and they're juniors on the roster, and I'm not going to act like I know all their names, but they have put up really good points this year going back and look at their stats. And I think that you know, I think the better matchup for Tennessee is Michigan, in the second round, compared to Colorado State. And I think that you know, you talked about it with Murray State. With them sitting at thirty and two, I mean, you know, if you followed that league, and um, and a lot of people in, in our area know Murray State, you know how good they are. And and maybe not thirty and two, maybe you wouldn't thought it about that. But when you look at this thing and the way they get up and down the court. Uh, it could shoot from behind the perimeter, that's what I'm saying. Just watch out because that is a team that they get hot that could cause some trouble. So I, I like Murray State. They're fun to watch, and um, it could be an interesting matchup if they make it to Saturday.
2: Yeah, I I, I I like where you're going with that because they're the team that I think, and I'm guilty of this, I get them to the second round against Kentucky, and I automatically advance the Wildcats. But they're a team that can become – the national storyline of the Sweet 16 quickly in that bracket if they win two games this upcoming weekend?
1: Well, that's – yeah, no, and that's the big thing. Like, there's – look, there's so many different variables that go into this Indiana – I'm sorry, Indianapolis bracket in a sense of who's playing here in the matchups we could see potentially going down on Saturday. That's one that really stands out to me. Murray State, Kentucky – I mean, talk about craziness inside the (laughs) arena – you know, yeah. if they go about it with the fan bases. Um, and then you'll have Tennessee fans in there rooting for Murray State. I'm just saying, you know, it, it will be – I think that matchup right there will be a high-scoring type matchup. And then I think if Tennessee and Michigan play, you'll see a physical type game. Um, and I think the Colorado State matchup would be a little bit different when it comes to scoring for both teams. So it it's going to be a, a good region up here with all these teams in Indianapolis. And um, I, I just I, – I keep saying Murray State for some reason. I look at their bracket. I look at their team. I look at their scoring. I've seen crazier things happen. And they remind me a lot of Auburn without Jabari Smith, by the way. But they remind me a lot of Auburn. So, just whatever. You want to make some money on FanDuel, go throw a little money on uh, Murray State to beat Kentucky in the second round.
0: So, Trey, it was odd uh, – and you've covered Tennessee for a while – but to see – Tennessee fans, not against the national media, but Tennessee fans teaming up with national media to mm. go against the NCAA selection committee. Uh, a, a big twist the first time I've seen this. People united in the fact that Tennessee deserved better than a three seed in this tournament, and Tennessee fans just agreeing with everyone in the media did not see that coming, Trey. There wasn't a lot of pushback that Tennessee should have been a three seed and shouldn't have been a two seed. Not that it matters now that games are about to start being played. Uh, but that was a, 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 an odd twist in this story of the two going head to head against each other.
1: Chad, I got back to my, my room after covering everything that went on after Tennessee won the, the championship on Sunday, I make it back right when the selection. So starting and then Joe Lenardi, you know, they get him on and he starts giving his somewhat, whatever his explanation was. It wasn't a darn explanation. It was just rambling. Um, and you, and then you look at the committee chair, and I forgot what conference he's out of. I think it was the Southwest Conference, if I'm not mistaken. But you look at the way that they were trying to explain Tennessee; they couldn't explain anything, Chad. No, and it felt it felt like they didn't watch a single Tennessee game until the last four games. Here's another thing that blew me away: you had the committee chair come out and say, "Chad, well, uh, let, let's uh, let they finished strong." What, what the hell are you talking about? Tennessee was 15-3 and three over the last 18 games of wins over Auburn, Arkansas, LSU, Kentucky twice, AM, and who was the number one seed in the NIT. It just felt like they didn't do their homework on Tennessee, and they were dead set on keeping them at a three no matter what based on what they did in the regular season and whatever they watched. I don't know what games they watched, but whatever they did, they decided to keep them there, And and you did. You saw Tennessee fans – Coming together with some national media members that we won't mention on here, that usually get hated on, and uh, and coming together, it's like Avengers Endgame, like everybody decided to come together against the NCAA. It was kind of beautiful to watch.
0: Well, and and Trey, the elephant in the room with Tennessee is is Rick Barnes' terrible record in March uh, in this tournament, yep. and, and that's what everyone's getting. Well, well, but this is a Rick Barnes coach team; they typically underperform. Um, I remember texting with you Saturday night and we're watching the game in Murfreesboro with no sound, but I'm watching Tennessee celebrate the win over Kentucky in the semi, and I'm thinking, this looks like a few years ago when they celebrated like they just won the SEC after beating Kentucky in a thriller, and they're going to come out flat on Sunday. And you said, nope. They were all walking around saying, one more. Let's not celebrate. One more. Doesn't matter until we win one more. What is the mindset of this Tennessee team now as they prepare for this tournament? And does Rick Barnes change anything in his approach the way he does things uh or is it just status quo and at some point it's got to break right for one of his teams
1: you know what on sunday when they won the title you know you have to go through all of it the confetti the raising the trophy the cutting down the nets and all that it was you know I, i covered john fulkerson for a long time so it was good to see john fulkerson No, he was breaking down in tears, and he was excited to finally win a championship. But I will say this. Every single one of those players were all walking around that court saying, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. Triple J came up to Josiah Jordan. I'm sorry. Triple J came up to Rick Barnes and said, okay, coach, we got this one, but we're not done yet. So you look at this team, and they're just a different makeup about this team. Josiah Jordan James talked about it postgame. And he's more close, and it feels like there's more of a brotherhood. It was no disrespect to that 2019 team that we were talking about with Admiral Grant, and Kyle, and Bone, and all those. There's something about this squad that they're not satisfied. They're not satisfied with an SEC tournament title, even though it was a, a great afternoon for them, and they got to celebrate, enjoy it, and all that stuff. But here's your mindset. Rick Barnes in Tennessee said, hey, we're not sticking around Tampa to watch some selection show, we'll find out when we're in the air. And they did. They got on the plane, went back to Knoxville. The fans, you know, the students that were on campus, you know, came about and, and celebrated with them when they got off the bus. But then it was right back in the meetings and it was getting back, it was getting ready for this week. Like so I I look at it in a sense of I don't know why that stands out to me, Chad, but you know, every time somebody wins a championship. In a big conference, usually they're sticking around watching the selection show where ESPN can go cut to a shot of them, and they're clapping and all that jazz. Tennessee was like, screw it. We're getting on a plane. We're getting back to Knoxville. We're not doing any kind of selection party. We're going back and getting to work. I think that's the mindset of Rick Barnes and his team going forward. They know that they have a lot left to accomplish.
0: So Tennessee got a private jet, got a private flight, I'm reading. They they said no to the NCAA charter and got, it, got their own ride to Indy. Is that right?
1: Yeah, they got their own – well, they they, they chartered their own plane. I mean, the NCAA was so screwed up, I was – I felt like I was delirious last night watching some of these tweets come in about, you know, the Longwood team that Tennessee's playing. You know, they didn't have any travel set up by the NCAA yet. And it was 12.30 this morning. Uh, they didn't know when they were leaving. They thought they were going to be leaving later this evening, like around this time. Um, Tennessee did not leave that. And I think Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken – Kentucky did the same thing. Kentucky chartered their own jet, got up to to Indianapolis, which is not far from Lexington. Um, So Tennessee was like, screw it. We're not waiting around for the NCAA. We'll bill you guys when we get to Indianapolis, and you can pay for it then. But they weren't waiting around because there were so many problems with logistics and talking with folks over the last 24 hours between the NCAA. And, you know, a lot of them wanted to blame it on short of pilots, Fuel prices, all that stuff. I'm sorry, NCAA, you knew this was coming for a year, so be ready to go. So, I, you know, it is what it is. Tennessee said, screw it, we're going to go up there. We'll just send you the bill when we get back from Indianapolis.
2: We will uh, remind everyone to uh, – we'll send everyone, Trey, to outkick.com and to your Twitter account, at TreyWallace underscore, for full coverage of the NCAA tournament and also – You can check out uh, the series that Trey's been uh, doing for Outkick, the SEC sit-down, most recently with UT Chancellor Dondi Plowman. Uh, Great chat there that dives into a variety of topics, including NIL, uh, SEC expansion, Josh Heupel in year number one, Danny White, and and everything involved uh, with the athletic department. It's all available for you online, outkick.com for more. Trey, enjoy Indy. We will catch up with you tomorrow and throughout the week, and uh, we look forward to all the coverage on Thursday for sure.
1: Yeah, I look forward to to bringing you guys coverage, Tennessee, Kentucky, and everything else going on around the country. Yeah, definitely go back and check that interview out with Dondi Plowman. She really got into uh, how she handled the NCAA investigation and also – her secret inner circle of hiring Danny White, mm. which was very interesting to hear. So I appreciate you guys. Look forward to chatting the rest of the week up here in Indianapolis. Yep, Great Thanks, work. Trey. Appreciate Crush you, man. It.
2: Trey Wallace, uh, yep. he'll be checking in with us daily from the NCAA tournament in Indy. Coming up from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, we'll give you the very latest uh, happenings across the NFL. We, we know that uh, they have... Announced the compensatory picks. The Titans end up getting a couple of those. We'll tell you where. Uh, and we'll get into some recent signings across the league.
0: Also, a big basketball game in Nashville tonight.
2: That oh, I'm that's right. Mention. Yeah. A little NIT action. Yeah. That's next. So now kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world
1: champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at
2: 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today is the one-year anniversary of joining OutKick. We appreciate everybody that uh, has been a part of the ride. Uh, whether it's uh, from start to finish, if you're just joining us, if you're new to the show across the OutKick network, uh, we are live every day, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on this platform that you are listening to or watching currently. You can follow us on Twitter at OutKick360. Chad, there is an interesting game tonight. Belmont and Vandy.
0: Uh, of NIT matchups, doesn't get much better than that. I love when, I, I'm the NIT's fine. I mean, if, if for secondary tournaments, it's the one you want to be in. But when they can arrange a game like this between two schools that are probably a mile and a half apart, if that, between Vanderbilt and Belmont uh, here in Nashville at Memorial Gym, it's terrific. I I love games like that. And we talked about it's weird having the in-state matchup in round one of the NCAA tournament with Auburn and Jacksonville State, for instance. It's not weird when you have that in the NIT. It's it's tailor-made for that when you have a host team also.
2: I love it, too, because both teams – well, I mean – Both teams want to be there and playing in it, right? Well, uh, and both teams want to beat each other. Belmont wants to be in the tournament. Vandy does too. But you had Stackhouse lobbying right after the SEC tournament to get into the NIT. Um, I I love that. That, That's what the tournament needs more of. And less of the bubble teams that feel like they were slided going into the NIT. It's two teams that are
0: motivated. And two teams not only are motivated to play in this tournament and win, but to play each other. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it also. It's, it's two teams that badly want to beat the other one because they're neighbors. So I, I think it's terrific. Uh, that's uh, ESPN 2, 6 p.m. Central this evening. Oh, so about an hour away. Vandy and Belmont.
2: Any other good matchups on that tonight? In the NIT? Yeah. I haven't seen that.
0: I, I'm way more interested in uh, watching Indiana-Wyoming later tonight. Uh, it's Texas Southern and Texas A&M-Corpus Christi. In the first four, in the, in the first game, which starts, I think, in about 10 minutes. Uh, that's like a 5.05 05 Central, 6.05 Eastern start. And then 7.45 or 8. Central, you'll have uh, Indiana and Wyoming. Way more interested in that than, than the, the NIT. But I wanted to highlight that. We're VCU, here in Nashville. Princeton. Yeah.
2: North Texas, Texas State. Yeah. Um,
0: Throw out the records of North Texas, Texas State gets Oklahoma, together,
2: Missouri State playing tonight. Oregon, and Utah State. Xavier, Cleveland State. There you go. Bel- yeah, Belmont. So belmont Bandy is
0: the by far the best yeah. one.
2: Yeah. Uh, the Titans awarded two compensatory picks. Um, they award this for, for free agent losses uh, from the previous year. Uh, they get a sixth round and a fourth round. They get a fourth round compensatory along with a six going into April's draft. Uh, today, uh, their headlines, they have re-signed Ben Jones to a two-year deal uh, worth $14 million. Um, So uh, about what we would expect contractually for that, they also have signed uh, defensive back A.J. Moore, and they released Jackrabbit Jenkins um, from the roster. So those are the big big moment headlines for them um, as we get set for the start of the new league year tomorrow. Tomorrow at this time, all of these teams have to be below the – salary cap.
0: And tomorrow, Hutton, we are one day closer to our watch party at 6th and Peabody for the That's NCAA right. tournament. Hey, go one fill out the bracket. day closer.
2: Bracket challenge and yes. great prizes including a $500 bar tab here at 6th and Peabody. On tomorrow's show, Dan Dockich will join us. Uh, we will have J.P. and Sibia in studio and Kermit Davis, head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels previews the brackets with us.